0: Why don't you all stand with me as we read God's Word. such a privilege to have the very words of God breathed out and given to us. We're going to read Numbers 12. We're going to read verses 1 through 16. And if you need a Bible, grab a pew Bible and turn to page 86. This is the Word of the Lord from Numbers 12, 1 through 16. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not also spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than all the men who were on the face of the earth. Suddenly. The Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting. So the three came out. Then the Lord came down in the pillar of cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron Aaron, and Miriam, and they both went forward. Then he said, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision, and I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses, he is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly, and not in dark sayings, and he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So the anger of the Lord was aroused against them, and he departed. And when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous, as white as snow. Then Aaron tore, turned toward Miriam, and there she was a leper. So Aaron said to Moses, Oh, my Lord, please do not lay this sin on us, in which we have done foolishly and in which we have sinned. Please, do not let her be as one dead, whose flesh is half consumed when he comes out of his mother's womb. So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, Please heal her, O God, I pray. Then the Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, would she not be shamed seven days? Let her shut out be shut out of the camp seven days, and after that she may be received again. So Miriam was shut out of the camp seven days, and the people did not journey on till Miriam was brought in again. And afterward, the people moved from Hezeroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. Let's pray. Father, we are uh, perhaps shocked and even warned of how serious it is to be critical especially of your servants and of your people. Father, may our hearts be convicted. May we seek comfort and forgiveness and cleansing as we hear your word preached. And may we not deflect this message to others, but Lord, let it come directly to my heart and to each heart that we may know just what it is to be critical and how serious it is in your eyes. May your spirit bring forth your word for application. In Jesus' name, Amen.
1: Well, are you familiar with the words of Jesus Christ regarding a critical spirit? We just heard the words of God in the Old Testament from the example of the children of Moses here in Numbers chapter 12. But even Jesus himself picks up on this very attitude and addresses it to his Christ followers. Jesus asked his followers in the, one of the greatest sermons ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, and he asked them this question in Matthew chapter 7, verse 3, Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Now, I'm sure most of us have heard uh, that verse before, or at least some form of that verse being quoted or Perhaps we've even used it. I know for myself, I have found that it's so easy to criticize the speck in someone else's eye while a log jam is being formed in my eye. I'm convinced that fault finding is one of the easiest professions to get into. No diplomas required, no college education, no master's, doctorate. It's easy all you got to do is well you don't even have to fill out an application all you got to do is start criticizing and you are in and for this reason we need an attitude check we need to let God's word here this morning give us an attitude check on this specific attitude, a critical attitude, or a critical spirit within our hearts. And here's why. Notice in your notes, you're welcome to follow along in your notes. If you want to fill in the blanks, you don't have to, or you can just follow on the, uh, the screen in back of me. But here's what will happen if we don't replace a critical attitude. A continuously critical attitude toward those around me will consume, all that is healthy, and all that is joy-producing in my life. Now, hopefully you have your Bible still open here to Numbers chapter 12, and, and I want you to notice again with me what it says here in verse 1. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. Now, that phrase, or those words there, spoke against can also be translated as criticized. So here was Moses, a a man chosen by God to lead the children of Israel out of slavery, out of bondage in Egypt, and lead them into the promised land. Let me tell you, this was a monumental task, to say the least. And yet, very quickly, and without warning, Moses became a target of criticism. Now, What is criticism? Most of us are pretty familiar with criticism. Most of us have been on the receiving end of it. Uh, I'm sure here most of us have also done some criticizing. But what is it? Here's a simple definition. Criticism is really nothing more than dwelling upon the faults of a person with no view to their good. And so what we're doing when we engage in criticism is we're, we're really dwelling upon those faults that we find, that we see in a person, whether those faults are real, whether they're perceived in which, with no view to their good. And sooner or later, when we begin to engage in this, to dwell on those faults, to find those faults, Let me tell you, what we are doing, it comes out. We begin to express it verbally. Let's be honest here. I know for myself, man, we all struggle with a critical attitude. And some of us find fault in people as if it were a buried treasure. That's really the key issue. We're in the fault-finding business, and the uniform we're wearing is a critical attitude. Listen, as you sit here this morning, as we hear this message, as we let God's Word come into our hearts, ask yourself, are you a person who walks through life saying to yourself, man, that's not right, and man, who thought that looks good? I can't believe they did that. Why would they do that? Man, someone should have taken care of that. What a moron, I can't believe he or she did that. And if you have a tendency to kind of think this way, then you're dealing directly with the dangers of a critical attitude. So what does God have to say to us? What does God have to say about the wilderness attitude of criticism? Well, God gives us some truths here in this story that Pastor Chris read for us here in Numbers chapter 12. In fact, he gives us seven truths about criticism that I want to draw out. I want us to see together as we look at this. And the very first truth I want us to notice, number one, is that criticism is an attitude that everyone must guard against. Look again at verse 1 and notice who was criticizing Moses. It was Miriam and Aaron, Moses' sister and Moses' brother. Now that's pretty tough, isn't it? Miriam and Aaron were the two people closest to Moses and the ones he trusted most, and yet they are the ones criticizing Moses, their own brother. But this shouldn't surprise us, really. I mean, after all, most of our critical assaults are aimed at our family members, the people closest to us. And it's interesting that Miriam is mentioned first. It's also interesting that the verb here that is used, this verb spoke against, it's in the feminine. Now, you may say, well, what does all that mean? What's the implications of that? Well, it just, first of all, it doesn't mean that women are more critical than men. Let's not infer that from it, okay? But it does mean that Miriam, in this case, in this particular circumstance here, in this situation that we read here in M- M- Numbers 12, it does mean that Miriam was the primary critic, and in this case, Aaron sort of just got dragged into it, sucked in with his sister Miriam. And so they're both criticizing Moses. And how many times does that happen? One person gets a critical attitude. And all of a sudden, other people are sucked up into it. They're dragged into it. And before we know it, we're caught into that same critical attitude. And now we are verbalizing our criticism along with the person who's the primary critic. Now, before we come down too hard on Miriam, let's remember that Miriam was no slouch. In fact, she was a a rather godly woman. In fact, big sister Miriam, you may remember, was the one who put baby Moses safely in the basket in the Nile River. She's also the one who arranged for Moses to be nursed by his own mother after being found in the river by Pharaoh's daughter. And so, understand, Miriam loves Moses. There isn't this great hatred for Moses. And beyond that, Miriam is also the one who wrote the worst song of worship to celebrate the crossing of the Red Sea, who was led by none other than who? Moses. And so Miriam, listen, she was a godly, righteous woman. Not in this particular incident, though, which tells us that even the most godly people must guard against the cri- a critical attitude. Listen, may we never come to the point in our lives when we think that we are so far along spiritually that we can never be guilty of a critical attitude. We're just as vulnerable as Miriam. None of us can say, well, I'm glad I don't struggle with that anymore. <sighs> Praise God. Don't have to worry about that. Listen, none of us have arrived to that point. And so this is an attitude that we all, every one of us here, must guard against. That's the first truth that we see. Number two, we need to check and see. The second truth is that criticism attacks the petty issues of others to cover up the root issues in our own hearts. Did you notice what Miriam was criticizing Moses for? She was criticizing Moses for his choice of a wife. Verse 1 says, Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. For he had married an Ethiopian woman. Now, most Bible scholars here think that Moses' first wife, and her name was Zipporah, that more than likely she had died, and now Moses has remarried. And he's remarried an Ethiopian woman. And guess what? Big sister Miriam doesn't like the new sister-in-law. And so she begins to criticize. And perhaps Miriam, we're not specifically told, perhaps she was telling anyone who would listen. Not just Aaron, together they were criticizing Moses, maybe in their tent together, but more likely even perhaps outside of their tent to anyone who would give ear to it. And perhaps Marion was saying, man, I don't like my brother's new wife. I don't know why he married her. What was he thinking? He should have checked with me first. How dare he marry somebody without checking with me? But do you really think that's the issue here? Is that really... The issue. I mean, do you really think Moses' choice of a wife was the real issue here? No way. It may have been the surface issue, but the root issue in Miriam's heart is found here in verse 2. Look at it with me. It says, So they said, Miriam and Aaron. So they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? so what we see here is that Moses' wife was just a surface issue, but the real issue was Moses' position. It was his prominence as the leader of the children of Israel. The real beef here was how come Moses gets all the attention? Why does he get to part the Red Sea? Why does he get to go to the top of the mountain and meet with God and I'm left back here in the camp? Why do we have to stay behind? It's always Moses this, Moses that. What about me? Has God not spoken through me? And not just him. And so that's the beast. Miriam's petty criticism was simply a smokescreen for the root issue in her heart and in Aaron's heart. And that root issue can be summarized in one word. Jealousy. They were jealous, and this happens all the time in our relationships. It happens in our marriages with our spouses. It happens in our families. It happens at work, and let me tell you, it can even happen here at church. We're jealous, and we cover that jealousy up by criticizing the person we're jealous of. Man, why do they get to do that? Why are they this? Why why this? That's not fair. Most of the issues that we start criticizing, let's be honest, they're somewhat petty issues that aren't worth a hill of beans. And we use the criticism as a smokescreen for the root issues in our hearts. Now, let's, let's just take a minute here and talk about some of those root issues that kind of creep into our hearts that we don't necessarily deal with right away. Well, number one, the first Root issue is, criticism may be a cover-up for unforgiveness or even bitterness within our hearts. Unforgiveness and bitterness are the fuel for criticism. It's what keeps a critical attitude burning. Mark it down, when unforgiveness is in our hearts, then criticism will be on our lips. A second root issue though, criticism may be a cover-up for envy jealousy, or even resentment. And this was the case for Miriam and Aaron. They were jealous of Moses' position. They were jealous of his prominence as the leader. And people are often critical because they are envious of somebody else. They're envious of what they have, what they get to do, or their success in life. And so they try to pull that person down with their criticism of them. And as they dwell on the other person's success, they begin to be even overcome with resentment in their own heart. And they start to then find fault with what that person is doing or what they're saying. And again, the real issue is not not the critical attitude. That's just the petty cover-up for the problem of jealousy. And then number three, a third root issue, is criticism may be a cover-up for failure in our lives. Some people become critical of others because they're living in defeat themselves. Maybe you're here this morning and you're discouraged with where your life is at, about the direction of your life, or, or what you've not been able to accomplish so far. Maybe some goals or some dreams have not become realized or achieved. Or maybe you're just struggling. You're struggling with a personal sin or a personal issue, whatever the case may be, and it just defeats you over and over again and how easy it is then to become critical of others to sort of level out the playing field and in in the process we, we think somehow that's just going to make us feel better. Listen, criticism is petty and it covers up the serious issues in our own hearts that often leads to wilderness living. A third truth that we see in this story is that criticism exalts self while tearing down others. And again, this is exactly what we find illustrated in Miriam and Aaron's criticism of Moses. Notice again in verse 2 how their criticism exalts themselves while tearing down Moses. So they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? There's the teardown. Has He not spoken through us also? There's the self-exaltation. And the Lord heard it. You see, ultimately, criticism is self-exalting. It tries to inflate self. It tries to elevate, elevate self while tearing down others. Criticism takes the focus off me and my faults, and it highlights me as a superior person to the one we're criticizing. In other words, criticism elevates me as the highest and the best. Now, why do we do this? Because criticism or at least we think so, we think criticism reduces the pain of our faults being in the spotlight. And it gives us the satisfaction of now shining that spotlight on somebody else's faults. We think people will find it harder then to see our lives, to see our faults, if I'm shining this glaring light of criticism on somebody else. So what kind of impact does that have? How do you think that That makes people feel. Well, this brings us to the fourth truth. Number four, criticism is painful to the people we criticize. It's painful. And I'm sure all of us, as we said already in the beginning, we've experienced the pain of someone criticizing us. But imagine Moses, his own sister, his own brother criticizing him. The two people he thought he could count on. And suddenly they turned on him. And this betrayal must have cut deeply. In fact, sometimes the ones who injure us the most are the ones we love the most. Have you found that to be true? Now what's really interesting here, though, and man, is it interesting, it's an amazing verse, It's what God actually says about Moses. Look at it here in verse 3. It says, now the man Moses was very humble, more than all men who were on the face of the earth. That's an amazing verse about Moses, isn't it? Wouldn't you like that verse to be said about you? God says Moses was more humble than all men who were on the face of the earth. And yet, Moses is still being criticized. And not just by anybody, but by his own family. Now, there's a couple of things I take away from that. Immediately, I take away and I learn first, it's a harsh thing to criticize anyone, much less a humble man who God says later on that he is my faithful servant. And second, it's nearly impossible get this to avoid criticism to avoid being criticized. Now I say nearly impossible because if your goal is to avoid criticism, then just do nothing, say nothing, and be nothing. In other words, go live in a cave. And even then, you're going to be criticized for it. So here was Moses. Get the picture now. Here's Moses, the most humble man alive on the face of the earth. And even he can't escape the pain of some self-appointed critics attacking the work he's doing for God. So how do you respond to that? How should we respond to this? Well, there's several ways. We don't have time to get into it. Let me just offer one. The key is to remember we are not here to win people's approval. We're here to win God's approval and to please God with our lives. The Apostle Paul writes in Galatians 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 10 Am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still try, trying to please me, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. So while our goal is to please God as Christ's followers, there's still something for us to, be, to learn from our critics. There's always a grain of truth in those who are criticizing us. Harry Ironside, who was a, uh, a Bible teacher of the past, has this advice, and I quote, he says, if the criticism about you is true, then mend your ways. If it isn't, then forget about it. The same advice was put this way by someone else. Never fear criticism when you're right. Never ignore criticism when you're wrong. Perhaps the best advice comes from an Arabian proverb. If a person calls you a donkey or an ass, pay no attention to him. But if five people call you one, then go out and buy yourself a saddle. (laughs) That's pretty good. In other words, deal with what you're being criticized about. Search it. Look, it. there's always a little bit of grain of truth in what we're being criticized about. and So stand back. Evaluate. All right, Lord, what can I learn from this? Because I'm not a perfect person, and neither was Moses. And so I encourage you, yes, turn down the volume on the critics in your life, and instead, center your attention on what God thinks of you. But also, take time to evaluate and learn. And when we criticize others, which we are all guilty of, listen, remember that criticism, it's not only petty on our part, but it is painful to the people we are criticizing. A fifth truth we learn from Miriam and Aaron is, criticism is often foolish on our part. Now this is an important truth. Not every person who criticizes has a wicked, awful heart. In fact, I'm convinced that the majority of the critical things that people say are words they wouldn't say if they thought twice about them. Most people including myself, often utter careless, thoughtless words that still strikes others like a slap in the face. Listen, the truth of the matter is, our verbal assaults, you know, they're not necessarily targeted for intentional injury, and yet loose lips often do damage we never anticipated. The fact is, so much of our criticism is just plain foolish on our part. In fact, I love how Aaron takes responsibility, and that's how he describes his criticism of Moses. He says it was foolishness. Notice what Aaron says in verse 11. Look at it with me. So Aaron said to Moses, Oh my Lord, please not lay this sin on us in which we have done foolishly in which we have sinned. Now, why was it foolish? Well, one reason why, think about it. They were criticizing Moses. After all, he's only the most humble man on the face of the earth. That's pretty foolish to criticize somebody like that. And according to verses 7 and 8, they were criticizing God's faithful servant, who God speaks with face to face. And so this is no small issue here. God heard the criticism, and God takes notice of it, and God dealt with it. In fact, God gave Miriam and Aaron an attitude check right on the spot. God didn't let it go. And he asked them this question, a heart-penetrating question in verse 8. He asked, hey, why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? In other words, me and you should have thought before you spoke, because what you're criticizing him, that is foolishness on your part. God is letting them know that their criticism of Moses was foolish. And as soon as Aaron realized his foolishness, I love this about Aaron, he took responsibility for his critical attitude. When you read this chapter, you don't find Aaron blaming his sister, Miriam. He's not blaming anybody else. He's not blaming the rest of the children of Israel. He doesn't blame anybody. In fact, Aaron, it's interesting, he doesn't even try to defend his position of why he's criticizing Moses. He doesn't even try to defend his words. He doesn't try to rationalize his remarks. He takes responsibility once God confronts him with it. And then I love this. And after taking that responsibility, you know what he does immediately next? He pleads for mercy on behalf of his sister, Mary. He pleads for mercy. Listen, let me ask you, do you struggle with criticism? Do you struggle with holding in your foolish comments towards those around you? I love what Zig Ziglar once said, when you throw dirt at people, you're not doing a thing but losing ground. And you're losing ground in more ways than we realize. In fact, studies show that a critical attitude has a negative effect on us, the ones, us. Dr. David Fink has worked with thousands of people who were all basically asking the same question. What is the secret to emotional health and stability? And so in his search for answers, he studied two different groups of people. The first group was made up of people who were suffering in some way, either with tension or emotional turmoil or some type of significant stress in their life. And the second group contained people who were free from such intentional struggles or internal struggles. And so gradually, one fact began to stand out in his research. Those who suffered from extreme tension had a single trait in common. They were habitual fault finders. Constant critics of people and things around them. Meanwhile, the men and women who are free from stress and tensions were the least critical in their attitude. Listen, this is why God wants us to put off this attitude, to put away a critical attitude. It's not only painful to those that we are criticizing, but our critical attitude affects us in a negative way too. Listen, criticism, sooner or later, it will destroy you. It will carry you down the road to a desert wilderness. A place where you do not want to live. A place where people will not want to live with you. Because who likes being around a critic except other critics? Which brings us to truth number six. Criticism is a sin that God judges. Now, you don't have to be a Bible scholar here to discover this truth in our text. Criticism is a sin, and the text here in Numbers chapter 12 says so clearly. Look what Aaron says to Moses in verse 11 again. He says, "Oh my Lord, please do not lay this what on us? the sin on us, in which we have done foolishly, and in which we have sinned. Listen, folks, criticism is a sin. Now, obviously, we want to soften that. We want to soften the judgment on criticism. We want to believe that it's just a weakness that we're dealing with. We would rather call it a bad habit, so deal with it, It's just who I am, it's who God created me, and that's how we kind of flippantly deal with this. But this isn't the way Christ followers deal with sin. Criticism is all those things, but from God's perspective, criticism is first and foremost a sin. That's the point of this whole message. That's why it's recorded for us. And God wants us to see ourselves in this story. He wants us to put ourselves in Aaron's shoes and in Miriam's shoes and say, you know what, that's me. And he wants us to own up to our sin of criticism. And listen, God hears it just as he heard it with Aaron and Miriam, and God judges it. In fact, God's judgment was swift and it was severe. Look in verse 9. It says, so the anger of the Lord was aroused. And then verse 10 says, suddenly, Miriam became leprous, as white as snow. And then Aaron turned toward Miriam, and there she was, a leper. Basically, Miriam was as good as dead at this point in her life. And so Aaron pleads for mercy on behalf of his sister in verse 12. Please do not let her be as one dead, whose flesh is half consumed when he comes out of his mother's womb. And then Moses... Now, again, this is amazing what we read here about Moses. Moses, always compassionate, always humble, he turned to the Lord and he cries out in verse 13, look at it with me, please heal her, oh God, I pray. Now the reason I find that so amazing is because I don't know about you, but when people are criticizing me, the last thing I want to do is pray for them. God, heal them. Bless them. No, I mean, I'm I'm praying for them. God, curse them. (laughs) Right? And then here's, I mean, here's Moses. He's just been criticized by his own siblings. And God has, in a a sense, judged Miriam and cursed her. And yet, Moses intercedes on her behalf, which is ironic as well. Because, what was the very thing Aaron and Miriam were criticizing Moses about? Not the woman he married. That's the surface issue. The underlying issue was is they were jealous of his position, of his prominence as leader, and that as leader, he could do what? He was the intercessor before God on behalf of the children of Israel. He's the one that talked face-to-face with God. And they're now criticizing, why does he, doesn't God speak to us too? And in this case, when they had opportunity to intercede before God, who do they go to? Moses. Why? Because they know. They know. Oh, we need Moses. The very one we just criticized. And Moses isn't offended by it. He doesn't take uh, the... The low road, he takes the high road. Why? Because he knows, you know what, my goal is not to please my siblings here. My goal is to please my God. My goal is to do what's right. That's my purpose in life. And so he takes the high road, and he intercedes on behalf of his sister Miriam. And it's amazing. And then notice God's response here in verse 14. He says, Then the Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, would she not be ashamed seven days? Let her be shut out of the camp seven days, and afterward she may be received again. Now, I want to break down this verse for us a little bit. God's response to Miriam's sin of criticism. Because it's interesting what God's response is. First of all, notice this. Miriam encountered severe humiliation. In verse 14, God says something rather bizarre to our ears here. If her father had but spit in her face, would she not be shamed seven days? Now, dads, I don't necessarily recommend you doing this. Spitting in your children's face, even your adult son's or daughter's face. But in this culture, A father spitting in the face of a son or a daughter, whether they were a child, teen, or especially an adult, listen, was a means of public disgrace and humiliation. It would be kind of the equivalent. It would be kind of like a father spanking his 10-year-old child in front of all his friends. Humiliating, to say the least, right? You know, if you want the flip side of the coin, it's like a mother walking her 10-year-old child to the bus the first day of school and then trying to give him a big kiss as he gets on the bus. Last thing a child wants. It's humiliating. You can imagine spanking a child in front of his friends is humiliating too. Not always wrong. Sometimes it's good to be humiliated in public. If our sin is in public, which we're going to see, In much the same way, Miriam's leprosy was God's way of publicly disciplining her. And now, perhaps you're wondering, why publicly? Let's be honest, to us, that seems way too harsh. In our culture, you just don't do that. God forbid we would ever publicly humiliate anybody in a disciplined form. But understand, understand something here. Her discipline was public because she was a leader. She wasn't the leader like Moses, but her and Aaron were leaders nonetheless. In fact, she is called a prophetess. And she was a leader who was criticizing Moses. And more than likely, the criticism was also done in public. And so she had to bear the disgrace of her actions in public. Second, Miriam endured temporary separation. God continues his response in verse 14 when he says, Let her be shut out of the camp seven days. Now why in the world would she be shut out of the camp for seven days? Well, one reason for her separation was purely physical. She's had leprosy. She's a leper, and seven days of separation was the standard time for the purification process. But Miriam's separation, get this, and this is more applicable for us here today, her separation also had spiritual ramifications to it. She needed to be purified spiritually in her heart. And so this was a time for Miriam to be separated outside of the camp and to have time alone before God, and to examine her heart for the root issues, not the surface issues, and to deal with them by repenting of her sin. And when she did, oh, oh, look at this. Miriam experienced complete restoration. You see, the purpose of Miriam's humiliation, the purpose of her separation, is seen in the very last part of verse 14. When it says, and after that she may be received again. Now that is a beautiful picture of God's amazing grace and His abundant mercy in our lives. Do you realize that God had every right as a holy and just God, He had every right to let Miriam die of her leprosy. But instead, in God's abundant mercy and in His amazing grace, He doesn't let her die. He extends healing to her. Miriam was received back into the camp seven days later. She was received back into the community. She was completely restored. Isn't that wonderful of our God? But only after she went through the process of humiliation and separation did she experience her restoration. Remember, with God. With God, yes, there is always consequences to our sin. But also remember that with God, there is always abundant mercy and amazing grace when we turn to Him. Listen, you can be restored back. You can be received back into a right relationship with God. You can be restored back and received back into the fellowship of the community of Christ's followers when we repent of our sin. Which brings us to one last truth I want us to see in this story. Criticism halts the flow of God's blessing. You know, so many times we think, my sin only affects me. Folks, listen to me. That is just not true. Yes, our sin, it impacts, it infects, affects our lives in a negative way. But our sin, listen to me, it impacts other people too. We may sin in isolation, but our sin is never held in isolation. And in this case, Miriam's critical attitude impacted, get this, over two million people. Her sin of criticism impacted two million people. Notice what it says in verses 15 and 16. So Miriam was shut out of the camp seven days, and the people did not journey till Miriam was brought in again. And then afterward, the people moved from Hazaroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. Don't miss this. One person's critical attitude delayed a whole nation, and it halted the flow of God's blessings. You may be sitting here and you may be thinking, oh, my critical attitude, it just isn't that big a deal. Oh, Bruce, listen, my critical comments don't really make that big of a difference. You're wrong. They do. Miriam's critical attitude halted a whole nation on their journey to the promised land. Listen, criticism makes us hard. It makes us vindictive and cruel. And it leaves us with this notion that we are superior. Criticism harms our relationship with God. It harms our relationships with other people. And that will block the flow of God's blessings in our lives. Ask yourself, I I challenge you, I plead with you, ask yourself these questions. Am I a critical person? Do I I struggle with a critical spirit? Do I have a critical attitude towards my spouse? Do I have a critical attitude towards my parents or a mom or a dad? Am I critical towards my children, my teens, my adult kids? Am I critical to my coworkers? Do I struggle with a critical attitude even here in church? Is my critical attitude blocking and halting the flow of God's blessing in my life? Or in your marriage. Perhaps even in your family. Or even here in our church. So how do we respond to this? How do we respond if a critical attitude has infected our hearts? Well, folks, there's only one response. There's only one. And that is to repent Repent of a critical attitude and replace it with an attitude of love. So what does it mean to repent? Well, repent means to turn from our sin. And it means to turn to God's grace and mercy. You say, well, how do we do this? Well, first of all, you confess your sin to God. And confession of our sin to God is is simply the idea that we agree with God that criticism is a sin. We acknowledge with God that I've sinned against you, Lord, and I have sinned against others. I confess that to you. And then we ask God for His forgiveness for a critical attitude and listen this is key and in asking for God's forgiveness listen to me we freely receive his forgiveness you don't have to earn it you don't have to work for it why because forgiveness has already been paid for with Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection Woo! hallelujah right so we confess the sin knowing that God is merciful and he's gracious and that he is offering us forgiveness. And we ask for it and we freely receive it. But listen, we also ask those who we've criticized to forgive us. We go to them. And for most of us, that means asking the people closest to us to forgive us. And perhaps even now, you need to go to a spouse, a parent, a sibling, a friend, a coworker Maybe there's somebody in this church you need to go to. Listen, that's part of the repentant process. And you ask for their forgiveness. And you leave it there. And they may or may not choose to forgive you. You leave that in God's hands. And then we replace that critical attitude with an attitude of love which we will look at next Sunday. But for now, our focus is to repent of the wilderness attitude of criticism. And I want to give us that opportunity right now. As we come to our response time here in the service, this point in time of our service, where where now that we've heard God speak to us, we respond right where we're sitting. We bow our heads, and the praise team's going to come and sing, and we do business with God. And if you need to, later in the day, do business with somebody else, you do that. You follow it up. But first and foremost, let's do business with God right now. So I want to ask you to bow your heads. I want to ask the praise team to come. And again, let me ask you, are you a critical person? You know, almost all of us, I think we we would have to say, you know, I struggle with this attitude. And so the next question becomes important, am I willing to repent? And so let me encourage you to run to God, to run to the cross of Jesus Christ. Run to His grace and His mercy and freely receive His forgiveness.